from KBMR Nevada City. This is Disability Wrap. I'm Anna Acton with my co-host, Carl Sigmund. On today's show, we look at one disabled person's experience being admitted into a hospital here in California this fall. His name is John Pixley. He was admitted to the hospital for four days this past October for something totally unrelated to the coronavirus. Despite prior assurances to the contrary, the hospital refused to allow his personal attendants to be with him in the hospital. The reason given was COVID-19. John is a columnist for the Claremont Courier. And is also a prolific poet and blogger. In the past, he wrote plays and performed. These plays include Joey by Trial. Which is based on a real life incident of being dismissed from jury duty. On the basis of his speech impairment. He was much more active as a columnist, playwright, and performer. Before his spinal surgery in 2017, which left him far more disabled. John, we welcome you to Disability Rap. Before we share more of John's story, we want to introduce our other guest, June Isaacson-Kales, um, who is an independent consultant with decades of experience advising businesses, universities, government agencies, and nonprofit organizations on disability-related issues with an eye towards equity and inclusion. More recently, her work has focused on disaster readiness and response in the disability community, including now during the pandemic. June, it is so great to have you back on Disability Wrap. Thanks, Anna. Good to be here. John asked us to start out the interview by reading part of a letter. He sent to the hospital following his stay. The letter begins. I was hospitalized from October 24th to October 27th for a severe urinary tract infection. I've been in your facility many times in the emergency department and as an inpatient. 
I'm severely disabled with cerebral palsy. It is extremely difficult to understand my speech, and I rely on 24-hour attendance for physical care and communication. They have been present with me on prior stays, and staff appreciated them. My regional center caseworker was assured by hospital staff in May that my attendance could stay with me if I was hospitalized during the pandemic. However, I was denied their services this time. The reason given was COVID-19 precautions. While I very much appreciate these precautions, denying me the only people who make communication possible for me, denying me the ability to communicate my needs and to participate in planning my care. The hospital has a duty to provide an appropriate method of communication, such as translation, sign language, word boards, yes or no questions, or other means. Providing a means of communication is required by the Americans with Disabilities Act and Medicare. That duty was breached. As a result, I suffered terribly. John, I want to pause here and ask. Did anyone intercede on your behalf? From outside the hospital when you were admitted. When I was admitted to the hospital, I had no idea that I would not be able to have my attendance with me. And after that, it was really hard for me to know how to get to anyone from outside. They got in contact with my self-determination liaison. And she was able to get a few of the people to understand that I was aware and intelligent. Thank you. Thank you, John. I want to get back to I want to get back to your letter and read more of what you wrote. Some of the staff took time and tried to understand what I needed and wanted. I was and am grateful for this. Others, however, left me for hours despite my calling out for help, often in pain or when I was too cold or too warm. It was as if they thought they could ignore me because they couldn't understand me. One staff member left the room as I awoke and I called out to her. One nurse, after giving me a capsule, insisted I had swallowed it, 
when as I kept trying to communicate, it was stuck to the roof of my mouth where it dissolved and left a bitter taste for hours. I could have inhaled it. I was left lying on my right side for so long that I had a sharp pain, eight out of 10 on the pain scale, which gradually subsided a few days after discharge. I wondered if a nerve had been pinched. I need to be turned from side to side due to a pressure sore acquired during a hospital stay at your hospital three years ago. I'm a quadriplegic and unable to use a regular call button, leaving me to call out for help most of the time, sometimes for quite some time. It was humiliating and exhausting to say the least. During my one day in ICU, I was given a soft touch pad, which I was able to use and very much appreciated. But once I was moved to the sixth floor, I didn't get another one until a couple of hours before my discharge three days later and was placed just out of my reach. This day was unbearable, almost torturous. I insist that should I have to be admitted to the hospital again while COVID precautions are in place, my attendants be allowed to be with me or some other mutual acceptable protocol be put in place so I do not have to go through this experience again. John, this is just a horrific story. I understand that you have received a response from the hospital. which provided your written assurance that you will have access to your attendance 24-7 should you need to be admitted again. I also understand that they have made some changes. Including ordering more soft touch call light systems. And making them available on all adult nursing units. John, do you feel that this response is sufficient? Or are there more changes you want the hospital to make? When I was there, I felt like I was a deaf person. Not able to have an interpreter. I felt like that was inhumane. 
I feel a little better now that I got a letter. But I hope that is enough. They said that they're sorry. But I don't know. I I have friends who say that I ought to sue. And that is there on the table. You know, um, John, I I wanted to ask that, you know, um, you know, how do, you know, it's one thing to send a letter and hope that it's better, but do you have any sense of how um, these changes, how the hospital will ensure effective communication? Is that codified? Is that in their policies and in their trainings? Have they shared any of those type of assurances with you? They said they want to use my case as an example in their training. Okay, so I'd like to bring you into this conversation, June. And June, um, you know, to me, it's really, you know, listening to John's story, there's a, there's a couple of pieces that I'd like you to speak to. One is that there seems to be um, a, a great misunderstanding around disability, I will just say, in this particular situation where there's just a lack of basic understanding around different types of disability, where John is being treated um, like he has an intellectual disability or, um, you know, uh, is that, that he, like he's not intelligent, like he said. So there's that layer that is really striking to me in this conversation. And then secondly, I've heard you on statewide calls. I've heard you advocating for the need for access to healthcare and specifically communication. Um, during COVID-19. So um, can you kind of start there with those pieces? Uh, sure. First of all, um, you know, my reaction to John's story, it's, uh, it is painful. It is really disturbing. But unfortunately, it's not a total surprise. You know, particularly when we're dealing with a very atypical public health emergency, lots of staff turnover, um, lots of um, hospital situations that staff are not used to functioning in. So I would love to see the written documentation that John got from the hospital in terms of who signed it and um, how high is the leadership that is aware of this and will they be able to intercede in the future? Um, I wanted to clarify for listeners who may not know what a soft touch pad is. Um, it's basically another kind of a call button that everybody has when they're in a hospital and they need to call for help. But uh, there are 
adaptations to these buttons for people with, um, you know, inability to hit a very small button or they need to use their fist to activate it or whatever. There are adaptations to this button. But what I wonder about is when anybody activates their call button, there's a light that goes on in the nursing station. And one of the things that I've experienced is that John's light may go on, but there needs to be a sign under that light that says, you know, um, difficult speech to understand or unable to speak so that people know they can't just say, what do you need, John? We'll be there in a while. They need to get into John's room to find out what's going on. They can't use it like a typical um, call button is used. The other thing is that I would urge John to um, involve some of the statewide advocacy organizations like Disability Rights California and others that can also help. I mean, this has been an advocacy issue statewide for months during the pandemic, but um, it's one thing to get the state to offer guidance and be clear about what the policy should be. But it's another whole issue to make sure they are instituted at the ground level, in the trenches, in every hospital. Yeah, thank you so much, June. Um, yeah, so what can people do to avoid experiences like this? And what do they do if they've had an experience like John's? Again, we need to acknowledge that the pandemic has changed the usual standards of practice. They're not followed. And even in a good day, John may still have some difficulty getting what they need. But, you know, the crush of many more people and staff that get sick and less staff there to to do what they ordinarily do. Um, it's really up to us to think about, you know, what we need to do to prepare if we have to go to the hospital. And nobody wants to think about that. But um, I think, you know, for John and many others like John that are going to need assistance from their personal attendants or others, um, it's really critical to contact hospital and ask, you know, explain, you know, I am a person with a disability. I'm looking to talk to someone about the accommodations or what I would need to um, maintain my health and my safety in a hospital. You know, who can I talk to that has the authority and the responsibility and the resources to help me get what I would need. So you need to explain your needs and um, what your disability is so you could, so they could help understand that you're gonna need that support person with you to help, you know, address some of the basic needs, whether they're physical in terms of turning or transferring or whether they're, you know, Communication, we like to joke around that somebody like John or 
Man, John's got a CP accent. And unless you're used to that accent, you're not really going to understand what he's saying. But somebody who's with him all the time knows exactly what he's saying and can communicate that. The other thing, you know, on John, I think is critical is that um, we need to have, think about this ahead of time. We need to prepack our go bag, our grab and go bag, just like in any other emergency. But different than any other emergency, you know, in a hospital, um, you've got to have all you need attached to your body, you know, whether it's around your neck or your wrist or your ankle, you've got to keep it in some kind of bag um, that stays with you because in a hospital, things get lost, they disappear, they're taken away from you by staff. So it's one of your hopes, if you're there alone, that you have in that bag, you know, hard copies of of things that are important to you. And hopefully they're kind of covered in plastic or laminated, you know, who are the emergency support people that staff can contact, that can speak on your behalf or can interpret what you're trying to say, any kind of allergies or equipment that you use to speak or Anything related to your critical care, you know, needs to be kind of written down in very plain and simple kinds of uh, sentences. You need to update your advanced directives. None of us want to think about that, but this is the time to do it, given what's going on out there. And, you know, what kind of measures do you want if, if um, people need to, hospital staff need to administer it? critical care to keep you alive. You need, you need to think about all that up front. And this documentation is really important. For example, think about the signage in your room that you'd want hanging over your bed or on the whiteboard. For example, I'm hard of hearing. I don't have my hearing aids. I'm deaf. I don't read English. I don't read well, so I need an interpreter or I'm blind, please tell me when you're in the room and what you're doing, or I have very little vision. Just those kind of things. And the other thing we found really important is to create some signages with key words that maybe you can point to like yes or no, or I don't know, or I'm in pain, or I need to pee, I'm hungry. I need pain meds. Think about what you may need to communicate and make a simple kind of thing that maybe you can even point to or use. Um, if you use a cell phone, make sure you've got them with you and you're charging in a Ziploc bag. You know, think about your medications and uh, what you're going to need. Um, you know, these people, they want to do the right thing, but they are so overwhelmed right now and so overworked that um, you're not, it's just not visual business as usual. So being proactive is really important. Um, and having your advocates in place ahead of time 
I feel like these are great suggestions um, and great questions as well, by the way, um, but really to help people uh, prepare. And again, we, we see that need for those of us with really significant disabilities to really have to prepare ahead of time, more so maybe than the general person and not just for a disaster or wildfire or whatever, but also just for the hospital stay. Um, I was also hospitalized during COVID-19 um, and, and it was a very different experience um, interacting with the, the hospital system during COVID, the restrictions around family. Uh, we've also heard of other people, uh, frankly, who have been hospitalized during COVID-19 um, and not even with a speech disability, but still having trouble accessing um, and communicating with family members and loved ones during their stay um, because of the restrictions of in-person visits to the hospital. So um, John, I just am curious if you would like to add anything to this conversation and, and also was gonna ask you if, you know, if you've, you've been in the hospital many times, you know, how has this experience really been different than those previous experiences in the hospital? I, I, I agree a lot with what June said. And like I have a sign at home made for the hospital. And now I realize that I ought to take it every time I go to the ER. And not when I find out that I'm admitted. And this time when I was admitted, I had no way of getting I had no way of getting to that sign. I wanted to and in listening to John further, just some other thoughts about survival tactics. And they are, um, you know, John, having your advocacy team ready to activate if this happens again, because, you know, who are your best advocates, your strongest people who are going to be able to um, understand your plan and go into action. For example, they may need to call the hospital if they can't get in and say, you know, explain who they are and say, call Maria in social services or call Maggie, the chaplain, or call the vice president of operations. They know who I am. They know what I need. Please contact them or to have your advocates say, this signage needs to be up in John's room. I need to deliver it to somebody who will get it posted in John's room. And you need to know that I'm one of the people who can you know, talk and interpret uh, what, what he's saying. Um, so a lot of these tips are on, uh, are on my website and um, we'll, we'll get you the, um, the information. 
The website is really simple. It's just um, www.jik.com. Thank you so much, June. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your um, perspective and your knowledge around these issues uh, for access to healthcare for people with disabilities during COVID. Thanks for doing this. And John, I want to thank you so much for telling your story. It's really critical that voices like yours are heard and these stories are told so that not only uh, uh, we can make real systems change um, at the local hospital or, or statewide for that matter, uh, so that you get your individual needs met, but also so that you know we can kind of learn from these experiences. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on. You've been listening to our interview with John Pixley, a columnist with the Claremont Courier and disabled blogger, playwright, and poet. And June Isaacson-Kales, an independent consultant focusing on disability advocacy and inclusion. June's website, again, is jik.com. You can find John's column in the Claremont Courier online at claremont-courier.com. He blogs at QueerX. 3.blogspot.com. That's Q-U-E-E-R, then the letter X, then the number 3.blogspot.com. This show is produced and edited by Carl Sigmund. Special thanks to Sam Gertis for her support and Goldie House for his voiceover. To listen to this show again, go to free.org slash disability rap or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Anna Axan with Carl Sigmund for another edition of Disability Rap.